0: Welcome to the Fort Hill Community Church Sunday Morning Sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning. Good morning, everyone. Grateful to have you here with us. Welcome, and for those joining us online as well, welcome to our service this morning. We're going to be in the book of John. If you want to turn there, John chapter 8. So we've um, took a break. We typically end the book of John working through it and we took a break for a few other sermon series and now we're back. We need John chapter 8 verse 49. Okay? You just want to turn there in your Bible. So I don't know about you but I have been keeping up with a sports. I'm a sports type of guy and if you keep up with sports then you might know that today is the Euro Cup final, okay? Um, we are. We we have a representative of one of the countries in this final. Our very own Helena, okay? England, England, has made it. Yes, to the final to the Euro Cup. It is the one of the biggest um, international tournaments uh, outside of the World Cup, where the European nations come together and play each other. And England plays Italy today at three o'clock. So. Hopefully, I'll be able to watch it. And for hellness sake, I am. I'm pulling for the English, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes, okay? So, so I'm excited about that today. Um, but if you um, kept up with, with that at all, you might remember in 2016, there was another team that did exceptionally well in the Euro Cup that was not expected to do that great. This is a country of 330,000 people, very small country on an island in the middle of the ocean. This country is the country of Iceland. Iceland, okay? Iceland, very little success on the international stage in soccer. They didn't even qualify for tournaments at all, okay? The land of fire and ice. in 2016, though, that all changed. Okay, they were in a group, I believe, with Portugal and a couple other countries. I don't remember who those countries were. But how the group stage works is that the four teams in the in the same group they play each other. Okay, and then typically it's the top two teams. Sometimes, depending on how the tournament is, the the third team can make it from the group. Anyways, um, Iceland made it out of the group stage. They weren't expected to. They t- they drew. Uh, they played Portugal. Supposed to lose. They they. They had a draw with Portugal and then they came out of the group stage into the knockout stage and they played England and they beat England two to one, believe it or not. Yes, they beat the English, the mighty English. So Iceland is this small country that's making all these, this run, this incredible run in the World Cup, not in the Euro Cup, not expected to. I remember me and Hannah, uh, we watched that game against Iceland at Riros on, in commercial on Commercial Street actually. Um, so that was amazing. Then they go to the next stage, quarterfinals. They lose to France 5-2. to two. France goes on to win the, um, the tournament there. But it grabbed the nation's, intent, or the world's, attention that this very small country was able to go up against the big dogs, and not only go up against them, but win and beat the big dogs. And the question is, how did they do that? And that was, really, that was a big question in, in the sports world. How is this nation of Iceland who never had success, how are they able to make this run? Well, you see, 15 years before this tournament, Iceland decided to plant some seeds. They decided that they wanted to be players on the international stage in their soccer team. And so they started investing money and resources and their top talent to build a top class soccer team. One way they did that, they started building indoor soccer fields throughout the country. Um, Iceland, you can really only play soccer one week out of the year, right? Because it's going to snow the rest of the year. Well, they built indoor soccer facilities in the big towns, the small towns, all throughout the country so they so their kids could play. They wanted to build up um, their own talent pool. So they needed the kids to play. So they built these, these um, facilities. They started training coaches. They had more coaches, better trained coaches. UEFA a licensed and approved coaches. More money, more time to build more talent and more opportunity. They planted seeds, and then those seeds resulted in the run of the Euro Cup 2016. Stories like this capture our attention, I think, because they offer hope and promise to us that maybe we're not seeing things in our lives the way we want to, maybe like Iceland, okay? But humble and small beginnings and humble and small seeds that are planted at a time when no one else notices, because no one was writing in the news about these indoor soccer facilities being built until after the fact, right? But humble, small beginnings that no one else notices, that doesn't capture the attention of the world, can eventually sprout And become amazing stories of incredible accomplishment that really shake the world. That was the story of Iceland in 2016. Today we're going to jump back into the book of John, John chapter 8. And we're going to see that the gospel is the same type of story. A story of small seeds planted long, long ago that eventually lead to a harvest of salvation. Not only for me and you, but for the entire world world. This story of hope and promise from humble beginnings actually finds its root in Jesus. And so I'm going to read for us John chapter 8, verse 48. We're going to go to verse 59. We're going to end John chapter 8 together and then work through it. Uh, Just a reminder, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees here. This is what he says. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? It's a great way to start off our text today. Jesus, aren't we right? You should agree with us. You are a Samaritan, you have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonored me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jew said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. That I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced, he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is a very important passage here, especially a couple of verses here, the meaning of which are a little bit hard to see, that we're going to dive into. We're going to take a dive into the deep end of the pool today, into God's Word. So hold on to me, we're going to go at the the right pace so we can work through this together. But there's a lot of good stuff, deep stuff here um, that that we're going to work through. So the first thing I want to do is just establish the context, okay? John chapter 8, just a quick reminder, Jesus is having a conversation with these Pharisees. He's saying, I am the light of the world. He's saying, my word is the truth. The truth will set you free. He says, unless you listen to my word, you will die in your sins. And then it eventually culminates in the Jews saying, well, we're God's children. We're all set. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're Satan's children. You're the spawn of Satan. Very harsh words that Jesus Apparently, says a lot of people. Said it to Peter, right? Said it to these guys. So we should probably be on watch for ourselves. Um, that's why they respond. Jesus says, "You are doing the works of your father, the works of Satan." In this previous section, and then they respond. They think there's no way you're a Jewish man. A Jewish man would never talk to a Pharisee like this. We are the prim, primo, you know, cream of the crop folks. You have to be a demon-possessed Samaritan in order to speak such words. Samaritans were an outcast class of folks. They were a mixed race of people, Jew and Gentile. They represented religious compromise. And so they're saying to Jesus, there's no way you're Jewish because you can't say these things to us. Jesus responds in verse 51. He doubles down to them. He says, I do not have a demon. And then going on, he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And it's to this phrase here you will never see death if you keep my word that these Jews attach themselves to they take him literally they say in verse 52 now we know you have a demon you're saying no one can die what do you mean Abraham died Abraham's the father of of the Jews right the the whole nation of Israel came from Abraham Abraham died the prophets died everyone died and yet you say if we keep your word we won't taste death And then this is the the important question, or really the the crux of of the issue, phrasing a question. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died, who do you make yourself out to be? I love this question, because it really captures the issue the Pharisees have with Jesus. One, they are really perplexed by this guy. Who do you make yourself out to be? A genuine question. But there's also accusation in that question. Who do you think you are talking to us like that? It captures their heart towards Christ. Just bewilderment, frustration, and hatred. Who do you think you are? Are you saying that you are greater than Abraham? And to this, Jesus responds unequivocally, yes. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Not only was I, or am I, greater than Abraham, but he couldn't, Abraham couldn't wait to see me. He couldn't, it was like Christmas Day, right? He couldn't go to sleep the night before. He was so excited to see me. Yes, I'm greater than Abraham. The Jews said, you are not 50 years old. Abraham, you know, was around 2,000 years before Jesus. Again, taking him literally. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Today we're going to spend our time working through those two verses there. Your father Abraham rejoiced they would see my day. What does that mean? And then this last one, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. You can tell that the Jews that Jesus really struck a nerve with these Jews that last verse 58 it's confusing Jesus says before Abraham was I am that's kind of a strange construction but notice the reaction that Jews have here their response is to stone him maybe you've offended someone before I doubt if that person went to find the biggest rock they could find and throw it at you okay Jesus struck a nerve they wanted to kill this guy Why? Why? The Jews understand Jesus' deeper meaning here, and it's to that deeper meaning that we're now going to look. And we're going to look at it by working through the blessing of Abraham. We're going to focus on this guy, Abraham. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 12 to do that. So you guys know, everyone here knows, that we, our family, has got a new house. Um, I've... Noticed, as we've moved into the new house, my dad credentials are going through the roof, okay? It's really incredible. If I had dad experience points that I could gain, I'd be at like level 50 now. I probably jumped up like 10 levels in the past month. I've gotten a lawnmower, okay? A weed eater. You guys call them weed whackers. Still don't get that. Weed eater. I remember the first time I got to Maine, the pastor of the church I was at called it a weed whacker. I was like, what are you talking about? It's a weed whacker. Is that a main thing, weed whacker? Okay. Weed eater. That's what we call them down south. I got new tools. I got a water hose. I got a sprinkler system, Um, lawn equipment, and then chair on top, I got a smoker. Thank you, Woodmans. Okay, I'm actually smoking meat right now as we speak. Okay. Um, So just incredible dad points going through the roof. It's been awesome. Um, And thank you. A lot of you guys have had a hand in that too. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, But one way that I've racked up these dad experience points is by growing my own grass. Looking out into the field, got patchy spots, um, pulling out weeds, bare spots. I started growing my own grass. And so Hannah got some grass seed for me. And so I get out there. I don't know what I'm doing. I only have a shovel. I don't have like a rake. So I'm actually in there with a, you know, a tipped shovel, shoveling the ground just to try to get the grass underneath. Not the best way, but, you know, you make it happen. And so, you know, I'm tilling the soil, throwing the seed out, hoping for the best. And then what do you know? I actually got grass growing, like it is growing right now. Um, and now I, I get why some people are happy for it to rain, because I don't have to sprinkle it anymore. I didn't realize that before. But now I get it, okay? You, yeah, you don't have to do the work. So, you know, I, I'm really excited. I realize how old I am at this point, but I got grass coming, because I sowed the seed. I didn't know it was working underneath there. The the work of the seed was, I couldn't see that, but it was working, and now I see the grass growing. Likewise, in the book of Genesis, we also see God doing a similar thing, okay? I had barren spots on my lawn and sowed the seed. In a time of spiritual barrenness, in the time of Abraham, Noah's already happened. God's already judged the whole world for their incredible sin. Spiritual barrenness, God starts sowing gospel seeds. And he does it through a man named Abraham. This is, this is good stuff here, okay? Genesis chapter 12. This is We meet Abraham in Genesis 11. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, is the important part. We're going to see Abraham here. His name is Abram. His name is changed to Abraham. Um, Abraham lived in a land called Ur of the Chaldeans, modern-day southern Iraq. So think about where Israel is, northern, straight north, okay, a little bit to the west. That's where Abram was, and God calls him down to the land of Canaan. He has a wife named Sarai. His name is changed to Sarah. She is barren. And then on one fateful night, all of that changed. God comes to Abram, I'm just going to call him Abraham, and says this in Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, Ur, okay, northern, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing." And I will bless those who bless you, in him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed later on in very important part in John, uh, Genesis fifteen six God appears again, he says to Abraham, uh, "Look at the stars in the sky, your people will be more than the stars in the sky. You'll have a multitude. remember Abraham is old." He's His wife's barren, has no kids, but God makes a promise. These promises here. And it says that Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted his belief, his faith, as righteousness for the sake of Abraham. So God comes to Abraham. He pronounces these three blessings. He says, Abraham, you will no longer wander around as a nomad in the desert, but I will give you a land of your own land of Canaan. We call that the promised land. That's the first blessing. The second blessing, your wife is barren, but she will no longer be barren, Abraham. I will come and I will give you children, and I'll make your children into a great nation, and that is the nation of Israel. So all the Jews that we're ta- that Jesus is talking to in John trace their lineage back to Abraham. And then finally, we get this last promise, this last seed. This is very... Interesting. I will deal with others in accordance with how they deal to you. I will bless you, I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you all curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This one's a little different. This blessing's a little different. Up to this point, who receives the blessing from God? Abraham is the recipient of blessing. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you kids. For this third blessing, who's the recipient? All the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. And how are they blessed? They're blessed through Abraham. So God is setting Abraham up, and he's saying how I'm going to bless and deal with you will reverberate through history as a blessing for the entire world. The blessing of Abraham will be a blessing for the whole world. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a seed. Okay, you got to hold on to that seed. God has a plan for the entire world, and he's going to do it through Abraham. It's good news. We don't know what it is yet. We don't, have an, we don't really understand what it is yet, but we do know that God's going to bless the world. We see a seed planted. So the question is, how is God gonna bless the world? How's he gonna bless the world through Abraham? What is his mission there? How's he going to accomplish it? Well, let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 22. We're gonna get a hint of how God's gonna bless the world through Abraham. We're gonna see another word, uh, seed planted. So at this point, God has kept his word, and if you know Abraham has Isaac, Abraham and Sarah tried to mess that up. They had another son, well, Sarah didn't, with, he had a, Abraham had another son with Hagar, Ishmael. He was not the son of promise. God gave Sarah, Sarah, opened up her womb and gave Abraham a son, and that son is Isaac. But then one day, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son. He calls Abraham to go and to kill Isaac on an altar as a sacrifice to him. In Genesis 22, as they're getting ready to do this, this is what Isaac says to Abraham. He says, My father, Abraham said, Here I am, son. Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood that we're using for the sacrifice. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Can you imagine, you know, dads, parents, this situation that God has put Abraham in to sacrifice his own son, okay? Okay. Now, I just want to give a quick caveat. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham had faith that God could bring Isaac back to life. God made a promise he was going to bless the world through his line, through Isaac. So Abraham's doing this believing that God could bring Isaac back to life because it's through Isaac that the promise is going to continue. But still, Abraham continues in faith. And so Isaac says, where's the lamb? And then Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Where's the lamb? God's going to provide. He doesn't tell Isaac what's going to happen. But then continuing on, so they both went together. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God told him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. There is a lot of action going on in that word bound. Okay? Again, consider what's going on. Isaac doesn't know what's going on. It just says he bound him and laid him. But consider the struggle between Abraham and Isaac. Okay? Isaac, no idea, binding his son, throwing him up on the altar, getting the wood ready. No idea what's going on. Isaac, no idea what's going on. Abraham, trusting that God's going to work this out for him. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, brings it up. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy, do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Continuing to verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, "By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, as your offspring and your offspring shall possess the gate of His enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." There's that promise again. It comes back. At the moment of death, God stops Abraham. He sees his faith and he reaffirms the blessing. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because you were willing to sacrifice your son to me. Not only your son, not only Isaac, but your only son. Your only, says it. Twice you have not withheld your only son you now. it says that same line twice reading this again the the promises are restated blessing the earth as a response to Abraham being willing to sacrifice his only son reading this there should be Jesus gospel sensor radars firing off in your head okay The promises of God flowed out of his willingness to sacrifice his only son. He's having Abraham act out what he himself will do to accomplish the promises that he's made. How incredible is that? God is having Abraham act out the blessing for the world that will happen through the sacrifice of his son. Isaac was spared, but Jesus was not. Romans eight thirty two, he who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us, all, oh, how incredible is God's picture of the gospel here, a seed sown, as Abraham acts out what God himself will do to keep the promises that he has made through his son to bless the world through him. God's showing us, he's giving us a template way before it happens. Fast forward, now these are things that I'm saying, and maybe I'm just reading into the scripture, it's not there. Some people say, you know, you don't need to try to look for Jesus behind every bush and rock, right? So is this real or not? Is Jesus really here? Are these really gospel seeds? Well, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 7. This is where it all ties together. And I, and I hope, as we're working through this, you get a picture of God's Word, okay? I think of God's Word as the Grand Canyon. You kind of come before it, and you see it sort of displayed before you, and you just feel smaller than it, just so grand. And this is one of those Grand Canyon moments where you see what God did thousands of years ago and how it connects to Christ. The Apostle Paul makes a connection for us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Okay. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Everything Abraham received for God, he received by faith. He believed. No law of faith. faith. Okay. In the scripture, <clears throat> foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed there's our promise again the same promise that God made to Abraham the Apostle Paul is saying that was the gospel preached to Abraham before it happens so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith these gospel seeds give way to a gospel harvest the seeds of Abraham lead to the harvest of of Christ, the harvest of salvation. So all of us enter into, whenever we believe in Jesus, we enter into the blessing of Abraham. So think back with me to John chapter 8. I, I know there's a lot of words and texts and all that, big ideas are holding together. Jesus said, going back to John chapter 8, That Abraham looked forward to his day and rejoiced. That's what that means. That's exactly what that means. Abraham got the promise made to him of salvation for the world and acted out how that promise was going to be kept. So yes, Abraham did look forward to the day of Jesus. And he did rejoice. Because the gospel was preached to him beforehand. How incredible was that, that he and the rest of the world would be made right with God through faith in God's provision. What does it have to do with you? It's an amazing, outstanding story. What does it have to do with you? Mark chapter 4. Verse 26. This is an obscure parable, one of my favorites. That's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God, Mark 4 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, like I was doing. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows; he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. I love this parable because it teaches us that God is working even whenever we don't see it. God is working even whenever we don't see it. We got no idea what's going on. God is working. Think back to my grass, okay? I'm looking at the ground. It's wet because I watered it. It looks like just mud at this point. I'm like, I don't know if that's gonna work out or not. I just made a mud pie, right? But underneath the surface there's all this creative activity going on. The seed sprouts, I'm sure you've seen video of seeds sprouting and the roots going down and the blade coming up. I don't see it, but it's happening. This man, he spreads the seed, he goes to sleep, he comes back out, he sees the grass growing, he knows not how. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the gospel is like. That's what the gospel seeds with Abraham was like. God sees a man in the middle of the desert, some obscure, strange man, Abram, who's barren, old, and he says, this is the man that I'm going to bless the whole world through. His wife can't have kids, and he's a hundred years old. This is the guy, perfect one, middle of the desert. And he starts sowing these incredible seeds, and those seeds lie dormant underneath the ground. We don't know what's going on, but years go by, and years go by, and years go by, and God is working. And from this man, Abraham, he brings a nation. And from this nation, Israel, he brings a savior. And from the Savior Christ he brings salvation, so that through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. If you believe the gospel, then you have set all your trust in a God that works, even if you don't see it. That's what it is. If you have believed Christ, then you have given up all authority that you have to see it in order for it to be true. That is not yours anymore. Because you have believed in a God that works in ways unseen. For his purpose. So that you walk out just like the man in the parable. You see things happening. You're looking around. You're like, I have no idea how any of this is happening. But praise God. I don't have to. God has already proven himself to you. He's proven himself to me. And most of all, I look at things in my life and how God's proven himself. Those things aren't even proof. The proof is Christ himself. The proof is the blessing of Abraham leading to salvation. That's the proof. If God can do that, then my goodness. Think about our church, right? COVID hits. We lose everything. Lose our meeting place. Lose our people. We, We meet again over there. It's Chris and Paula, the Blanchards, and Ashley. Six people, right? Then we lose our spot. Get an email. You can't meet here anymore. What? Come out here. Right on this bench covered in pigeon doo doo. Okay? Lord, help us out. We get in this place. God was working. He brought us in here. We met the Woodies like three years ago. I think Paula was dressed as a clown or something. Okay? Freaky clown. God uses clowns, right? Seed sown. I put out a prayer request through the North American Missions Board. Debbie gets in California. Seed song. God is working. And we don't see it. And I don't have to see it. It's not up to me to see it. And I'm looking around at this church. and I'm looking around at my life. And I'm like, man, how how the heck is any of this happening? It's like, okay, yeah, God did it. I don't need to see it. And you don't need to see it. You just need to believe. You have the faith of Abraham who believed, it says in Romans 4, the older Abraham got, the more sure he was of God's promise. The worse things got. He did not lose faith, but he grew in faith. The worse things got. If you believe the gospel, then you rest the assurance that God is working in your life for your good all the time, and he's proven that ultimately in Jesus. That was the promise of Abraham made, and it's the promise that's made to you as well. Incredible. Going back to John. I told you there's a lot in this little verse here. John 8. So Abraham rejoiced. Abraham rejoiced that he would see the day of Jesus, and he saw it and was glad. So that's that's why Abraham was rejoicing. Everything... We went through in Genesis. But now let's deal with this last verse. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. This is another passage that is full of meaning. It's a strange construction. Before Abraham was, I was, right? That's kind of what you think about. Again, Abraham existed 2,000 years before Christ, so the Jews are saying, what are you talking about? Like, there's no way you're around with Abraham whenever Abraham was around. That was 2,000 years ago. But Jesus does not say, before Abraham was, I was. He says, before Abraham was, I am. The same Jesus that you are looking at right now in this conversation was the same Jesus that existed before Abraham is the same Jesus that existed, that exists into eternity future. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is Jesus claiming here? If you guys have read the book of Exodus, the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, most pivotal is Exodus twenty, then Exodus three. Whenever God meets us, whenever Moses meets God at the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and that's the burning bush, right? Moses sees the bush burning. God says, take off your sandals for you're staying on holy ground. It's like, God says, all right, Moses, I know you can't speak at all. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses says, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you, okay? And then Moses says, okay, I'll do it, but who's asking? Like, who am I going to say is sending me? Whose orders am I taking here? What's your name? God says my name is I am I am is my name I am the eternal self-existent self-sufficient all-powerful all all able God of all creation how do I explain and describe all of that to you in one name here's the name I am eternally self-existent stretching to eternity past into eternity future he was the God at the beginning of time, in the middle of time, and to the end of time. And so whenever Jesus comes here before the Pharisees, and he says before Abraham was, I am, why do you think the Jews wanted to stone him? He's claiming to be God. He's claiming the name. The Jews wouldn't even say the name of God. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. The name that God gave Moses in Exodus 3 Jesus claiming for himself. He is the eternal Christ. So in this, if you take these together, and there's a lot more that could be said there, not only is God working in ways unseen to you, but he works in ways that are eternal. It's not like he had to make a plan B, right? Jesus was not a plan B for you. It's not that God created Adam and Eve or or Noah and all that, said, oh man, they... They spilled the milk. i got to clean it up and pour a new thing of milk. No. Jesus was always the plan. From eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. Acts 2.23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was always God's plan to send his son as a savior. And if a savior then also his plan for those who are saved Ephesians 1 4 to 5 God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoptions adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you see that? Not only was Jesus a part of the plan, but you are too. In love he predestined you to be his son, to be his daughter. I can think of no better way to comfort you today that this grand story of God's salvation and this eternal mission of God come together and I'm wrapped up in the middle of it all. And you're wrapped up in the middle of it all. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nor height nor depth, angels nor demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is mind-blowing. And so what I want to bring to you today is to show you how grand God is. How much greater He is. How much higher His ways and higher His thoughts are In our ways and our thoughts and yet he is near and close and dear to us we are in the middle of it all predestined in love chosen before the foundation of the world to be in his son the promise and the blessing of Abraham is our promise and blessing as God kept every promise that he gave that's something we need to lean on believe in Meditate on together as we follow Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's these types of things that just make men and women just bow down before you. How could we ever think that we're going to make it work? How could we presume such a thing? That we got these plans, that we're gonna make this thing happen, that we're gonna charge the gates. Like, Lord, like you have shown in your word that you have it all figured out. And not that you're figuring it out and building this ship as it's floating in the water. No, you, you've already you've already built it. It's already decided. You've already done it. And you're working it out in your time according to your will, according to your purpose, and we're in that. And so I pray as we meditate on this text, this big text, Lord, and make these connections, these dots, that you would just equip us with an assurance and a certainty in your sovereignty, in your control, to believe that you are working even if we don't see it. That the seeds are planted are bringing the fruit and the harvest that you say it will bring and to be comforted by the fact that we are brought in that, and we're never going to be let go from that. That your Christ is eternal, and we are with him eternally. What a comfort, Lord. I know so much of us here going through so many things, things that we would, like, God, are you in control? Like, where are you in this? Nothing surprises you. You do not have detour routes in our lives. You work all things for the good, Lord. Your glory and our good. We see that most clearly in Jesus himself. I want to pray for our people here that you would plant these seeds in their hearts, start growing, Lord, the fruit of your spirit in their lives. I want to pray over these seeds planted that I have no idea of, that you would bring that harvest. Help us just to be faithful. That was Abraham's example, just to believe and to walk forward in that faith. Build us up, Lord. Thank you for your grace to us. You are good to us in every single way. I pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning at Fort Hill Community Church in Gorham, Maine. For more information about Pastor Aaron or Fort Hill Community Church, visit us on Facebook or check out our website at www.forthillchurch.com.